You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church of Savannah, a sermon from our series entitled House Rules, a study on the book of 1 Timothy. For more information, visit us at cbcsavannah.com. So we've been in a study on 1 Timothy. We're kind of wrapping that up. We've got a couple weeks, and, and I'm going to throw a little curveball today because as I came to the text for today, it wasn't a super like motherly Mother's Day sermon. It was about paying your pastors, which is significant to me, <laughs> but I thought it was a little self-serving on Mother's Day to talk about why pastors make salaries. So I'm gonna, what I'm going to do with that is I'm actually going to... When we have our member, our, our family meeting in June, um, we do two a year, kind of at the beginning of the year and mid-year, uh, I'm going to kind of just unpack that briefly for you because it'll be applicable to what's going on, and so kind of give a quick devotion on that. So we're going to go and do that then, uh, but I wanted to encourage the women of our church, um, whether you're a mom or you're not a mom right now, whether you're empty nest or whatever season of life you are in, I, I wanted to encourage uh, the hearts of our women by looking at two very special women in the scripture that have had significant impact on the church for the last 2,000 years. And that wasn't their goal. They didn't go out to like have some great impact for the, for the church. But because of, of what they did, their impact is still being felt even today, even in our local church. And so I want to encourage the hearts of our ladies by looking at these two very special ladies. And yes, they were moms and one was a grandmother, uh, but, but this is not just a mom and grandmom talk. This is for, for all the ladies of the church, because here's the thing. As one who has been created in the image of God, you carry that image in a very unique way. And, and part of that, whether you have physical children or not, is, is in mothering. In fact, it's very interesting. If you go to Genesis 3, after the fall, so they've, Adam and Eve have sinned, and they're, kick, they're about to get kicked out of the garden, and God has said, this is going to be what's going to happen for the men and women. After all that, it says Adam named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Right? And so her name is called Eve, meaning life giver. But here's the irony. She hasn't given any life yet you got to go down a couple verses down, and then she has Cain, and then she has Abel. So she's called life giver. She's called the mother of all the living, but yet she is not a physical mother yet. So there seems to be something intrinsic about being a woman, about, about carrying the image of God as female, that there's a mothering aspect, whether you have kids or whether you don't. And I know some of the moms are, no, 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 no. I was in labor 27 hours. No epidural like those weak sauce younger ladies now. And I was no natural. You're not stealing my Hallmark Sunday. And, and, and want to honor all the, the physical moms. But also want to affirm, y'all, we, we looked about this in 1 Timothy 2. We talked about it a ton in the past. To aff- I want to affirm the women of our church. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are made in the image of God, which means you are equal with men. Right? Men and women are equal. Both carry the image of God. And they're similar ways, but they're also very distinct ways that God specifically designed you to carry the image of God in a different way than men. Even how God created men and women was different, right? For men, he just, he's got some dirt, right? And he picked up some dirt and he made dirt into man, which makes a ton of sense if you think about it, okay? But then when it came to making Eve, he, it even uses a different Hebrew word, right? He, he uses a word that is an architectural term. 
that he, that he fall, has Adam fall asleep and he takes his rib and he fashions it. And there's purpose and there's design and it is very specific. And he, and he creates and fashions the woman, right, with, with intent. And we, we talked a, a little bit about this a couple, couple months ago as we were working through the book, that, that we are equal as men and women, but there is also distinction and uniqueness, and that is good, because men reflect the image of God in certain ways, and women reflect the image of God in certain ways, and it's something to be celebrated. And even, I read this quote before, but I'll read it again, because I think Matthew Henry catches it so well. He says that the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. That she is his complement. She is his essential counterpart. In, in cheesy Jerry Maguire language, she completes him. All right? She completes him. And, and really, there's two ways that we kind of looked at as we worked through chapter 2. Uh, that you ladies carry the image of God in a distinct way from men. That they, they carry it in this way and you carry it in this way. And, and two of those ways, one was in partnering. The idea of coming alongside and bringing robustness and strength. Right? And so when God makes Eve, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a helper suitable. And so he, it, the idea is... Man cannot do what he is called to do apart from her. She brings strength. She brings uh, ability. She is called the helper. Isn't it interesting that the Holy Spirit is called the helper, the one who enables, the one who brings strength, the one who brings power? That is the way God has designed you, and you carry his image in that way, in a distinct way of men. Another way that you are distinct is in how you, have, you carry the idea of the nurturing aspect of God in a different way than men. It's not that men can't do that, but you have been specifically designed to carry that in a special way, right? And, and, and the idea of nurturing is, is, is caring and, and bringing growth and bringing maturity, right? It is a, we, we need that. And we see that just in the basics of men and women. I was at the baseball game last week, my, one of my kids, and, and the other pitcher, or our pitcher, he, he throws a pitch, and he can't throw a strike to save his you know, life anyway, but he pegs this kid right in the middle of the back. I mean, it's like, boom, right? And the dad is like, yeah, run it off. Yeah, the coach is high-fiving the kid, and everyone's cheering. The mom is like, is he okay? Let me get an ice pack. Right? I mean, all the guys are like, yeah, rub some dirt on it. You the man. Right? Which it makes sense since men come out of dirt, rub some dirt on it. That's probably where that comes from. <laughs> There's just a difference in, in how God has wired us. And it is good. It is not bad. The idea of bringing strength and, and bringing growth and encouragement. Right? And, that, and that's the heart of, of the two ladies we're going to kind of briefly look at today. We've been studying 1 Timothy, Paul's letter to his young mentor who he left in Ephesus to kind of pastor this church, and he's got all sorts of struggles and issues, uh, and then his book is really a, a kind of a mentoring and a discipleship of him of how to pastor, but what I want you to see today is that the secret to Timothy's kind of success, and the reason he's even the pastor of this church is really nothing to do with Paul. It actually, by Paul's own admission, goes on before Paul. To two special ladies, Grandma Lois and Mama Eunice. 
right? And that's what Paul's going to say. So we're going to look briefly just at, first, at 2 Timothy. If you know where 1 Timothy is, just flip to the second one, right? And we're just, I just want to highlight some things and give you some encouragements from these two ladies, which we don't know a ton about, but there are some specific things we do know, and I think we can make some principles for our folks today. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Here's, here's what Paul says. And, and the context of 2 Timothy is this is Paul's last will and testament. He is in prison. He is about to die. He's going to be beheaded for the gospel. He knows it. This is kind of the last letter he writes. He's writing to Timothy to kind of encourage him, to remind him some things, and to tell him to get there quick because he's going to be dead soon. And he wants to see him one more time. And here's what he says as he's sitting in this prison. I thank God whom I served, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. And so listen to the language. He says, I remember, I remember I am reminded as he's facing death, as he's contemplating his future, as he's thinking about the fact that his ministry is about to be over, as he's wrestling with the fact that all his buddies left him. The only guy that's left is Dr. Luke. He's the only one that didn't abandon Paul in his, in his last times. As he's kind of facing all that, what is it, the last impression he's kind of thinking about? He's picturing the redemptive mothering of these two ladies. And the impact that they had on this young man. As he, as he sits in this dark, cold cell, how is his heart warmed? How is he encouraged? Where is he finding joy? By the memories of Timothy's what? Affectionate spirit. I remember your tears. And his sincere faith. And where does Paul say that affectionate spirit and that sincere faith came from? He says, it was first in your grandma Lois. And then it was in your mama, Eunice, right? Two ladies who came alongside a little, little boy, a little Timmy, who nurtured him, who cared for him, who encouraged him, who came alongside him, who strengthened him, all those things. And because they did, I mean, look at the impact. And because they did, Paul is super encouraged as much as you can be sitting in prison. And here's kind of the first idea I want you to grasp today about your faith. Uh, the, the faith of just a simple grandmother, a simple mom, is that your faith is a huge encouragement to everyone around you. Whether you're an empty nester, whether you're married, whether you have kids, whether you work inside the home, whether you work outside the home, whatever it is, that your faith is meant to be a source of joy and encouragement and influence and comfort and impact to other people, just like these ladies, right? Whether, whether it's because you are just showing hospitality and you're just you know, bringing people in, whether it's a model you're set as, as this is how you're raising your kids, whether it's how you're speaking to people, how you're loving your husband, how you're handling your singleness, whatever it is, the vulnerability that you're, you're not pretending everything's always okay, you're repenting of sin, you're confessing sin to others, whatever it is, your, your faith is meant to be an example and encouragement to others. This is where Paul goes, and Paul knows what it's like to be in a dark place. And, and he constantly is picking things out and reminding himself. Romans 16 is one of my favorite chapters in Scripture. It's a really kind of interesting because it's just a bunch of lists of names. And he's like, I, I mean, I love this couple and this, this lady's great and this guy's great. And in one verse he says, tell Rufus 
Rufus is my my brother, chosen in the Lord, and, and his mama was a spiritual mama to me. And he's remembering that here's a lady who kind of just adopted Paul as her own. Like when, he, when, when he's there, that she, she cooked for him and she encouraged him and she prayed for him and she loved him when he was sick and he brought strength and nurturing and partnering. All those things, it's that idea. Here, she's a spiritual mom to Paul, right? And he finds great strength. Y'all, that is what the church is supposed to be. Whatever your age, whatever your season, that ladies, your faith is an encouragement. And, and in the American church, 55 to 60% of the American church is female. And it is, it's, we need men, yes, and this, we need dads, and I'm not downplaying grandpas and dads, but this ain't Father's Day. We need some women who are an encouragement by their faith, some spiritual mothers. Because I bet if you look back in your life, if you see, go back and see who are the people who have influenced, who are the people who have been spiritual mothers, man, I bet you have some. I mean, when I was, I wasn't even a believer yet, but I'm at the, when I was at the Citadel my freshman year, there was this Christian couple, it was my buddy Andy Gillette, he was the only guy from Charleston, everyone else was from all over, and his parents were like the, the moms of, the, of my whole company. And so, I mean, she would get like three cars and minivans, and she'd come pick us up on Sunday mornings and take us back to our house, and we, she would feed us, like, it was like the golden corral at her house for like seven hours, and all of us, we'd just stuff our faces and just fall asleep on the floor, all of us. And I mean, you know, we, if we were flying in from wherever, we had people flying in from California and Delaware and Philadelphia. She, she'd go to the airport. What time's your flight get in, Bill? Bill, my, my flight's at 3 o'clock. She'd go get me. She'd take me to her house. She got another guy at 5. She'd have another guy at 7. I mean, she was like our mama. And come to find out that this family was a Christian family just doing this because she was loving on us. It's huge. I mean, I remember that 25 years later. I, I remember in seminary there was a couple the Bergstroms, they had three daughters. They were all kind of in high school and college, so no grandkids yet. And so what they did is they adopted all the seminary students at our church. And every other Saturday night, they would invite us all to their house. And they basically were my kids' grandparents adopted at that time because my parents were in South Carolina and Sarah's were in D.C. We were in Texas. So they would love on our kids and take them out and, and do all these things. And they would feed us too. Oh, they had, I mean, she was like, could bar, she could cook the sweetest barbecue. So we'd go over to their house. We'd play some wicked badminton, like Olympic-style quality badminton of seminary students. And then we'd play, when it got dark, we'd go inside and play ping pong and play games. And it was our favorite time of the week. We couldn't wait to go to the Berkshams. We didn't want to leave. And, and that family cared for us, and she loved us like, like a spiritual mom. The pastor's wife at that church took my wife under her wing Susie Abag, she was about the sweetest, maybe the greatest encourager in the church in the 20th verse. Just love my wife. Just prayed for her and cared for her and encouraged her and sent her notes and still does it. We've been out of Dallas since 2000 and, when did I graduate? I don't even remember. 2005. Still sending notes. And that is the idea that your faith is meant to be an encouragement. It is a, it is a, it is a big piece of what God is doing. It is a huge piece of how God has wired you and how he's designed you in the church. And, and I get, again, I look back at my life and who are the people that never quit on me and didn't give up on me and showed me unconditional love and prayed for me faithfully? I, I don't know about your life, but in my life, most of them are she's, not he's. And that's huge. It's even significant when we talk about with the seed company, isn't it interesting that when we talk about translating 
the Bible into someone's, we say it's their mother tongue. We don't say father tongue, right? When a guy scores a touchdown, he says, hi, mom, right? He doesn't say, hi, dad. There's just something that there's, that's there about being encouraging. It's, it's even, in, even in the language of we're going we're gonna to translate the Bible in their mother tongue. Why? Because that's the language of their mom, of the one who cared and strengthened and brought, brought life. It's, a, it's a, just a big piece of what God's doing, right? And, and, and ladies, it's, it's what God's doing and wants to do in you, right? Whatever the season of life you're in, your faith is meant to be an encouragement. Here's another thing that, that Paul says and highlights about, about these two ladies. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. Notice he uses this term, it's a sincere faith. It's a word that means a faith without hypocrisy. It's real. It's genuine. He doesn't highlight, oh, your faith was so great, you were just this great theologian, and you could unpack the, the doctrines of grace, and you could read Wayne Grudem's theology. And, and you, No, no. It was just a simple, sincere faith. They modeled what it was to be Christian. That's it. They followed Jesus. And, and not a very easy time, too. Their husbands are not believers, they live in a, in a culture, they're living in modern-day Turkey that the, was opposed to the gospel. This is not an easy place to be a Christian. And they were they just simple, sincere faith. And here's, here's kind of second encouragement for you. Uh, to the women of our church and to the men of our church is that you need to put a priority on the development of your faith, of your walk with Christ. That, that you need to develop this faith. It doesn't say what specifically was special about their faith, but here's what we do know. He doesn't use this idea of, of complimenting a grandmom and a mom anywhere else in the New Testament. Something stood out in their faith. Something stood out. So that when Lois is raising Eunice, Eunice is looking up at her mom and said, I want to be like my mom. There's something about my mom. And, and even Timothy is looking and says, there's something about my grandmother, there's something about my mother, I want to be like them, and he does. He passes it on. And again, because they, they, because they pass their faith on, and because they just model sincere faith, think of the impact. For 2,000 years now, we have two letters written to this, this man, Timothy, that are called the pastoral epistles. That's, this is the two books in the, in the New Testament along with Titus, they kind of guide how do we shepherd? What does the church do? What, is the, what does it look like to kind of function as a church? That, that's all because Lois and Eunice had a simple faith and it impacted their kid. That's a pretty significant deal. Every New Testament church since then has said, how do we do church? And we've gone to Timothy. That's That's big. And I guarantee you, it's not as if Lois and Eunice were like, man, what can we do to get ourselves in the Bible? We got to figure this out. Let's, let's, they just, what do they do? They just lived a very simple faith. Huge impact. And, and I read this quote this week. I thought it was, I thought it was good. Um, it's, it's when God does something powerful through you, it often starts small and it starts in the home. But that's, that's significant. It sounds a lot like what Jesus said, when the kingdom of heaven starts small and then phew, blows up. If you have faith just like a mustard seed, 
And, that, and that's the idea. We often don't see the significance. And ladies, there's, there's tons of pressure on you in this culture to, to be a certain way, to be able to do this and this and this and to be able to carry 16 things. And then you got all this, you know, you got social media has just upped the game now, right? Because now you have to compete with that fake filtered life where their kids look happy all the time and their meals look like they, everyone loves vegetables and, and everyone's, you know, and we have the clean minivan and the clean house and the dog that listens and everyone's getting straight A's and then look how nice everything is there. And then we look at our house and we're like, what in the world, does, where is this fit? Or there's, oh, look how great their husband is. Look how great their kids are. I wish my husband was more like that. I wish my kids were, and we, and we fall into that game. And we fall into everyone's opinion. You got to do this school. You got to do this class. You got to do this sport. You got to do this. You got to do this. All these opinions. And then there's the pressure of what happens when my kids mess up? What is everyone going to think of me when my kid's the one that does X? And we have this temptation to over identify with our kids and their victories and their mistakes. So if they win the game, it's like you think you won the game, you didn't win the game. But then if they blow, you know, if they get caught cheating or if they get in a car wreck or they do make a dumb decision, then we over-identify, oh, we're the worst person in the world. And, and, and there's all of that. And what I would say is the greatest thing you can do for those around you, for your family, for your roommates, for whatever, is to put a priority on developing your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Right? Grandmothers college students, stay-at-home moms, corporate moms, that you make it a priority to walk daily with your God. Before you face the shouts of the world, right? And I read this quote on, on, on a blog this week. I kind of was Googling some, some, some uh, blogs and trying to get some, just some insight because I am, you know, I don't think like a lady and I'm probably the least thinking like a lady. So I needed a lot of help. So I read a lot this week. But she writes this, and I really like this. It's good for men and women. She wrote, before you face the shouts of the world, and the shouts of the world are out there, y'all, and the pressure of the world's out there. Before you face the shouts of the world, share the whispers of God. And the idea was there, make it a priority. When you wake up, before you gotta go get your coffee, before you gotta start making lunches, before you get, gotta get ready for work, before you gotta do a go to class, before whatever it is, before you do all that, just make it a priority to spend some moments with your creator, to talk to him, to listen for him, to just reflect on, on the scripture, read a psalm, read a proverb, to, to read one chapter of, of one of Paul's letters or a chapter of the gospel, to just reflect on your God and have the whispers of God speak to you before you face the shouts of the world. Because then you'll be ready to handle all the chaos. So when your kid blows it, you don't have to over-identify with them. You can apply the gospel to that. And you can bring forgiveness to that, and you can bring direction. Okay, you did this, now next time we're going to do this. And when there's all this pressure to be, 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 you can say, I don't have to impress you because I am complete in Christ. And it frees you up to be vulnerable and admit, my life's not perfect. Look, I got, there's lunches from three weeks ago in the back of my minivan. See them? See that orange? It's now not orange, it's green. That's, what, that's how we roll here, and you don't have to worry about it. Because you don't have to impress everybody. And you're able to go to people and ask, this is huge, for help. You can go to a friend and say, me and my, my son are not getting along right now. And you can be vulnerable and humble and ask for help and, and ask for prayer. Right? That is the church. 
It's the, not the southern church. The southern church is everybody pretend you're great and then go home and hate your house. That's the southern church. Close the windows so they don't hear us yelling. I don't like my spouse. I don't like my kids. I don't like my dog. And it's not even football season. All right? That's the south. We are trying to change that culture so I say, I'm broken. I need help. I need the gospel applied to me. I need you to pray for me. I need you to be there. And that is a hard thing. If you're a community group leader in this church, you got to set the model of this for your community groups because they will not be vulnerable unless you're vulnerable. It just will not. And that's hard. I get it. I, I, I wish I could kind of tell you all my sins, but then you'd stop coming to this church. <laughs> but I can tell you that I'm as broken as they come. And if you don't believe me, just ask my kids. Right? And so that's, that's the kind of thing uh, that, that we develop that faith. We, we confess our sins and then we apply the gospel to it. And it's a huge piece of modeling. Right? And it's what we want to be. Younger, younger ladies, even the single ladies in the house, right? I, I want to only encourage you to make a priority on your relationship with Jesus. And here's why. Because if I had a dollar for every guy that ended up like chasing a cute girl who loved Jesus and then all of a sudden he got interested in God and now he's actually a godly guy. If I had a dollar for every one of those, then we would have already paid for the Utah project, okay? Because there's something about, there's something attractive about godliness, Right? There just is. And even when those people, this was me. I was not pursuing Christ. And I met my now wife and she was. And because she was and I was interested in her. And I'm not saying missionary date. That's not what I am saying. All right? I'm going to actually counsel against that. But I am saying, and she didn't. She wouldn't date me until she knew that I was a believer. But I started going to a church that she was going to because of her, and then I end up hearing the gospel in a way that I understand, and then I believe, and now, then I start pursuing Christ, and it, it was a huge piece in me coming to Christ, because there was a godly young woman who wouldn't compromise, physically, emotionally, spiritually. It's a big piece, y'all. It's a big piece, and it's, just understand, ladies, they will grow up. I know the 23-year-old guy is usually acts like he's 12, but here's, there is hope for him. Now, don't expect he's going to be Billy Graham at 24 years old. He's not going to be Billy Graham and look like Tom Cruise at the same time. That just doesn't happen very often, okay? So understand that part of his growth and getting to be like Billy Graham is actually marriage sometimes. And so you want to marry a believer, but don't expect him to be like super Christian at 23 because he might have just came to faith, right? And so, but there's a huge piece of, of, of you being a, a example, and we want men to be that too. I'm not saying it's not important for our young men to be godly and pursue, absolutely. But what I'm saying is, it is important wherever your season to make a priority to walk with Jesus, right? And these two ladies, whatever it was, I don't, you know, it doesn't even say their faith was real, sincere, genuine, without hypocrisy, not perfect. They weren't perfect. I'm sure Lois yelled at Timmy a couple times because he spilled the, the goat milk or whatever. But there was a genuineness that they had. And they are models for us. Not because they were gifted and not because Timothy turned out well. It's not just because, oh, look, they had a good kid, so now we can follow. No, no, no. They are models for us because they had a genuine, simple faith. 
that was real. That's what we want. And because it was real, then they could be encouraging. See how the cycle is there? So make it a priority to, to be genuine with your faith. One more thing, real quick. Right? Our faith, your faith encourages others. Make a priority of it. If you, if you turn a couple pages to the right, he makes this reference. It's very interesting in chapter 3. As he's closing, he says, as for you, Timothy, continue what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ. And he he makes it, he's kind of talking about something, but we can gain a little insight of what happened in this guy's, in in his upbringing. It says, you knew, know from whom you learned it. That word whom is plural. It's not talking about Paul. He's talking about Lois and Eunice. Where did you learn the sacred writings, i.e. the scripture? He learned it from his mama and his grandmother. He says, remember what you have learned. Remember who taught it to you. That from childhood you kept hearing about God's faithfulness. And here's, a, here's kind of the last application. And this one is specifically for those who are physically moms and grandmothers. But also aunties and sisters and bro- whatever. But is that... You, you need to point others to God's faithfulness, specifically your kids. That your home ought to be a place where the faithfulness of God is celebrated. That we are pointing. And, and remember, Lois and Eunice did not have this. There was no NIV Old Testament. Oh, I'm losing stuff. NIV Old Testament version. They're living in modern day Turkey. The only copies of the scripture might have been at the synagogue where they, I don't, we don't even know for sure if there was a synagogue. But let's assume there was. So there's a couple Old Testament scrolls there. So they, but they can't just go down and do the quiet time. And there's no Our Daily Bread for, for Lois and all these things. No devotionals. But what they did have is the stories that have been passed down and passed down and passed down about what God had done in his faithfulness. So you know little Timmy grew up hearing about how Abraham was 80 years old. And God made a promise to him that he was going to have a kid. And then it was 20 years later when he's 100 years old. Older than Peepaw. Older than Peepaw? Yeah, older than Peepaw. And he has a kid with 100 years old because God keeps his promises. And then, and then that kid has a kid, and that kid has a kid. And then it, all the, the millions of, of Israelites are in Egypt for 400 years of slaves. And God raises up this old man again, 80 years old, named Moses, and he takes him out. And they go through the Red Sea. Charlton Heston leads them through the Red Sea. And they go out in the wilderness, and then they eat bread that falls from heaven like snow every morning. And there's birds that just kind of reach up at night and grab the bird, and they put it on the grill. And then, they, and then they go and they get the Ten Commandments and then they go into the land and there's this big cities and big walls and they walk around it for seven days and they yell at it and it falls. Why? Because God is faithful. And then they have this great king. And he's, he's rejected because he's short, but God loves short people so he's the best king they ever had. And that short king takes his slingshot, shoots one stone and hits the giant because God knocks giants out with short people and right between the eyes. And Boom. And he talks, and he heard about God's faithfulness there, and then how Israel was unfaithful, and so God removed them from the land. But then God was faithful again, and he raises up prophets like Daniel and Ezekiel and all these guys, and he brings them back in the land, and they build the city, and they build the temple, and all these things with Nehemiah. And, and he grew up hearing how God was faithful. And it wasn't hard for him to make the jump from all those stories to salvation, which it says that they, they were They lead him to salvation because all you have to do is talk about how God promised through Abraham all the nations of the world would be blessed. Well, how is that possible? Because one named Jesus 
And, and then he could relate the, the story of slavery and, and being enslaved to sin. And there was a deliverer, and his name was Jesus. And there was another king who was rejected by everybody, like the short king. And he became the king of kings and the Lord of lords. His name was Jesus. And then we don't need the temple to be built anymore. Why? Because now we are the temple of the Holy Spirit because of Jesus. It's an easy jump. Why? Because he kept hearing about the faithfulness of God, what he had done. And this is our job as parents. This is your job as, 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 as spiritual parents to the kids in the nurseries is to teach them about God's faithfulness, what he has done. The most important lesson we can teach our kids is not to work hard, although that is important. And not to get good grades, which is, I can't believe I'm saying it, but it, it's not the most important thing. It's not to be respectful. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. That, that is good. The most important thing we can teach our kids is that God loves them and he sent his son to die on a cross for them and, raise, and rose again so that we can have eternal life. That's the most important lesson our kids can hear. It's what we call the gospel, the good news. That's the, that's the primary lesson. Right? It, it, whether, it doesn't matter where they go to college or what job they get. If they get that, that's the most important thing. Now, I'm not saying you can change your kid's heart. You can pray all night long for Jesus to come in your heart and all, you know, when you're six years old. You cannot make your kid believe, but you can continue to point them to a God who draws men to himself and who loves them so much that he died on a cross for them. That is your job, to put them in that environment. Guess who did that? Eunice and Lois. That's what they did. And there's all, all sorts of opportunities for you to point to God's faithfulness. As you're driving across the bridge, you got to go across some bridge to get home probably. And you just look out and you see the beauty of God's creation. And just remind your little ones, God did that. When they got gifts, they're a great athlete, they're a great musician, they're a great artist, they're a great singer, they're a great whatever. To remind them, you're a great football player because God made you strong. God made you quick. It's because of him. You can sing great. You can draw great. You have an eye for color or for fashion. Why? Because your God is a creative God. You can point him to that. You can say, you can pray about little things and see answers to the little prayer and remind, remember we prayed about that and got answered. It's, it's, uh, that's what we do. That's what we're called to do is to tr teach them about the faithfulness of their God. And not just to teach them, then they need to see it. It's a sincere faith. It's one that's lived out. So when you mess up, you don't pretend that you got it all. You go to your kids and say, I'm sorry, daddy messed up. When they mess up, you say, I love you still because God still loves you and God sent his son for you. And so it's your opportunity to just constantly point to him. That's the house Timothy grew up in. Simple but profound. Two simple ladies encouraging Paul in his prison, nurturing and partnering with Timothy, encouraging us to this day. And that's a powerful testimony, y'all. I mean, again, they didn't go out of the way thinking, let's, we, somehow we got to figure out how we can be in, in the Bible for 2,000 years. All they did was live a simple life where God had them. And again, that's, what, that's all God's asking you. I, you're a SCAD student. You're a stay-at-home mom. You're an a, a empty nester. You're a single mom. Whatever it is, God is just asking you to walk simply with him in that season. And you never know what he's going to do. You may never know this side of heaven. But he will. Just like we may never know what's the impact on providing the Uda people with a, with a copy of their own scripture. This side of heaven, I don't know. But God does. And he will be faithful to the end. Simple 
encouraging faith, y'all. It's the kind of faith that impacts thousands of years down the road. That's what I pray for our church. Let me pray. Why don't you guys stand and we'll sing. Father, I just pray uh, for all of us, for men and women, for a simple but yet profound faith for our people. Um, I pray just for, for those that are struggling today as moms, maybe with the chaos of being a mom in this day season. Maybe it's just because we lost our mom or um, we lost years ago. And I, d- I do pray that your spirit would comfort us wherever we're at, encourage us in whatever season we are in, um, and that your church would just be the real deal, that we would be men and women of a sincere faith. Thank you for our moms. Thank you for those ladies who have influenced and impacted us throughout the years. Thank you that you have made them equal and distinct in so many ways that, that bless this church and others. It's in Christ's name I pray.